promise those who believe in him, though we die, we live. And find your story in his story. Don't you see? God's purpose in these stories is for all of us to develop a heart of faith. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David gave us insights into how we can see ourselves in God's story. Left to our own devices, all of us will experience times of darkness. So why are we so bent on wanting to be in control? Is it just another way for us to play God? Here's David in part two of Your Story in His Story. When we're in dark places, most of the time we complain and berate God. We blame God for all of our bad darkness, our terrible circumstances. You know what Peter, or you know what Paul and Silas did? They started praising God. They started singing praise songs to their Savior. In the middle of the night, you know what happened? Something caused the jail cell to shake and the door became wide open. They learned a powerful truth. That when you're in a dark place, the most powerful thing you can do is praise God. Because you believe somehow in the dark place, God is going to use it for his glory. That's why that song, every praise that we sometimes sing here, has caught the world like fire. And people who've been caught by someone who's going to abuse them, and they start singing that song, every praise is to our God, over and over again, situation after situation, they get released because there's power in praise. Might you find your story in Paul and Silas's story? Are you being tempted right now? There's some problem you have that the temptations just are so huge. Well, then read Jesus' temptations and see how the evil one tried to tempt him too. His strategy really hadn't changed a whole lot. In 1994, my alma mater, University of North Carolina, had just won its second NCAA national championship. And my daughter, Bethany, was about eight years old at the time. So we decided to take a daddy-daughter weekend together. We, we loved those times together. So we drove, drove up to Chapel Hill, and I got to shore around where I went to school. Then I asked Coach Smith, who was alive then, if we could go to one of his practices, and we did. I sat in the stands with my little girl, and I watched how he ran the practices. And at the end of it, I just started laughing. She turned to me and said, Dad, why are you laughing? I said, well, honey, the practice he just did is exactly like the ones I went through 20 years ago. And she said, well, why hadn't he changed, Dad? And I said, there's one simple reason, hon. It works. What he does works, no matter what year it may be. The evil one tempts you the same ways he tempts the whole world, and his ways of doing it don't change. Why? Because it works. <laughs> How does he tempt? Look at Jesus in Matthew 4 and the way that the evil one tempted him. The first thing he said to him was, if you are the Son of God. Why is that powerful? Because Jesus had just gone his baptismal, through his baptismal experience, and the father had said to him right after the baptism, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Every single one of us needs to know our identity is in God himself. We're his sons, his daughters. He loves us deeply and dearly. He'll never forsake us, he promised. But the evil one's attack is always, if you are the son of God, if you are a daughter of God. You see, he tries to get us to doubt our identity. And the moment he does that, and we say, well, maybe he doesn't love me. What? 
he comes in and ensnares us. And then he takes Jesus through his greatest temptation, which is what? Power. It's power. It's no different than with Eve. When Remember God's command in Genesis 2 was you can eat any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The moment you do that and you define what's good and what's evil, you've become God's. And Satan's temptation was, did God really say that? You'll be as God's. Come on. Take control of your life. Be God. And that was his temptation to Jesus. Be God. Take control of your life. And it's the same temptation with you. Be God. You define what's good and evil. Be God. And the moment you do, you get ensnared in the ultimate result. Stuff like addictions, betrayals, broken marriages, etc. So find your story in his story. And the way the evil one tempted Jesus is the way he tempts you. Do you have a lost? Are you getting older? Are you getting older? Then read the story of Caleb in Numbers 13. You know, he and Joshua were a part of the spies that went out from the 12 tribes of Israel. And when they came back to give a report, Joshua and Caleb said, we can be bigger than the giants who are in the land. And of course, the other 10 spies said, no, they're just too big. And they looked at the size of the giants, the size of the problem rather than the size of their God. God killed off all of those three million Jews who bought that lie that the giant's bigger than God. And he wanted to raise up a generation who believed his promises and how big he really is. And he allowed that generation to go into the promised land along with two people, Joshua, who led them, and Caleb. Now, Caleb was 45 when he was the first spy. They wandered for 40 years. How old was Caleb when he went into the promised land with the Israelites? 85 years old. Folks, God never called you as a follower of Jesus to retire. He called you to refire. You know what? Where are all these retirement communities coming from? I read in the newspaper last week that what do you do all day long in these retirement communities now built for people 55 and older? And they said, we play ping pong, we do shuffleboard, we play cards, and we play golf. Oh, that's advancing the kingdom, isn't it? Let me tell I can't speak for you. I don't know how much longer God's going to have me on this planet, but if God allows me to live till I'm 85, what I'm going to say is show me the place where the giants are the biggest because I want to go and take that area like Caleb did for the glory of God. What, what is age? Age is a number. Why are you so afraid? Our God's bigger. My last breath, I hope, is when I tell you about Jesus and the gospel, then he just takes me home. Do you have a lost dream? Do you have a lost dream? Then find your story and Joseph's story. He had a lost dream when he was 17. God gave him a dream that one day he'd rule over a lot of people, including his brothers. He told it to them. They dropped him in a pit, left him for dead. He was picked up by an Egyptian caravan. And through a series of difficult circumstances, even time in prison, he was ultimately raised up to be the prime minister of Egypt. And his brothers ultimately came to him. They didn't recognize him. He recognized them. They thought ultimately when they did find out who he was, he was going to kill them. He didn't. Do you know how old he was when he finally became prime minister? 39. He waited for the dream 22 years. 
If God has given you a dream, folks, God cannot lie. Therefore, don't let your dream die. May I say it one more time? If you've got a dream and God's given it to you, God cannot lie. Don't let the dream die. Find your story in Joseph's story. You have a child in need who's lost, doesn't believe in Jesus, or maybe it's sick. Read the story of Jairus in Mark, the fifth chapter. Jairus came to Jesus with a daughter who was sick, and he begged Jesus to heal her. Jesus was moved by his great faith. The Bible even says that he marveled at his great faith. And because of his great faith, he healed the daughter from a distance. Now, let me ask you this question. Would Jesus marvel at your great faith? Would he punch Peter in the rib cage and go, wow, <laughs> that person's got some faith. <laughs> wow, look at that. I'm impressed. Would Jesus do that with your faith? Or would he say, man, that's a pretty puny faith there. Jesus healed Jairus' daughter because of the faith of the father and the mother. Let me tell you something. If you're a mom praying for your child, keep on praying. And if you are a spiritual skeptic today and haven't come to faith in Jesus and you've got a praying mom, you might as well give your life to Jesus right now because you are toast. I'm telling you, you are toast in the name of Jesus. You might as well give up and give your life to him right now because the prayers of a praying mom are the strongest forces in all the world. The hand that rocked the cradle rules the world. So find your story as a parent in his story. And you keep believing for your child. Please. So there's no answer to your chronic problems. Maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe mental. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just going on and on and on. Well, first of all, find your story with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. L listen to how he describes his life. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, 39 lashes. Uh, in that day, it was called intermediate death. Oftentimes, you weren't expected to live through it. Paul did. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." So the next time you think you're having a bad hair day, the next time you think your day is really wacky, go read 1 Corinthians 11. Say, sorry, Lord. <laughs> sorry. Then, then in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about in verses 7 and following his thorn in the flesh. 
Now, all kinds of people through the years have offered different suppositions regarding what the thorn in the flesh was. Some people say it was a case of malaria that left him with huge headaches, and they were chronic, they never went away, and his eyesight was impaired because of some verses in Galatians that said he had to read writing with large letters. Maybe that was it. Uh, Other people suggest that maybe he was married and he got a divorce when he came to faith in Christ because you had to be married to be on the Sanhedrin. Now, there's no biblical evidence of that, but some people have wondered that. Some people have suggested, and I've tended to believe this, that it was the people who had followed Paul all around. They were Jews who didn't believe in the grace of Jesus because you had to be circumcised too if you came to faith. He called them the Judaizers, the false teachers, and he just hated them. Paul would leave a city, they'd come in and say, yeah, you've come to faith in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised too. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul looked at those guys and he said, um, you're wrong, and does so in some very vivid, colorful language that I'll let you read at a later time. He didn't like them one bit. And I've always thought, you know, I've had physical ailments and I've had physical diseases. I've had some mental stuff sometimes that beseeches me and... But I've never been hurt like with people who betray and lie. I've always thought it's the Judaizers. But you know what? The Bible leaves it purposefully ambiguous so that all of us can fill in the blank, so that we can find our story in Paul's story with the thorn in the flesh. And it was chronic. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. The, the three times is an idiom which means over and over, and over, and over, and over again. Are you there? Something that you want gone, that you just keep pleading with God to take away, and he doesn't, and it's making you begin to believe God's not good? Then keep reading what Paul says in verse 9. But he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in great weakness. Somehow, in that chronic thorn you're experiencing, God's working. And he's teaching you a very important faith lesson. What is it? It's this. His grace is enough. And Mother Teresa was right when she said, you just don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. And those thorns force us to realize Jesus is all I've got. And he's sufficient. He's enough. Find your story in Paul's story with the thorn in the flesh. And then finally, how about if you're facing death? Maybe God has, through a doctor, given you a diagnosis that within the next six months, year, two years, you're going to die. By the way, it's going to happen to us all. I've read statistics. It's one out of one die. It really is true. I I had a procedure recently that goes to men, now women, who pass 45 and 50. I'll let you begin to think about what that might be. And right before they put me to sleep, the nurse is going, I think of some beautiful place that you love to go. And I was thinking of that place. But before the very normal relative procedure, I began to get a little anxious and think, what if I don't wake up? What if I don't wake up? Well, good news, 30, 45 minutes later, a beautiful voice shook me just a little bit and there was a nudge on my shoulder said, Mr. Chadwick, wake up. It was the most gorgeous voice possible. 
And I woke up and it was over. Praise God. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's what death is. It really is when that moment comes, going to sleep. The Bible even talks about death as like sleep. And then there's going to be a nudge on our shoulders. And this beautiful, resonant voice is going to say, David, wake up. You're home. You're home. So if you're fearful of death, go read about Jesus' resurrection. Because he promised those who believe in him, though we die, we live. And find your story and his story. Don't you see? God's purpose in these stories is for all of us to develop a heart of faith. Luke 18, 8, Jesus says, when I come back again, you know he's coming back again, don't you? He says, when I come back again, will I find faith on earth? Whatever you're going through, it's to develop your faith. That's God's greatest desire. Therefore, all of these examples are in this book to build our faith. Because in the end, that's all that counts. Do you believe? You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about how the best givers are the best for givers. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. It's good to be with you as well. Well, David, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote that the best givers are forgivers. What do you mean by that? Well, here we go back to Relationships 101, Jen. Um, we, We must live in community together, and we do hurt each other, especially the closer we get to one another, we bump each other. So what do we do when we step on each other's toes, when we hurt each other? And here's what I've learned in life. Forgiveness is the way to allow those bumps to be less and less and for intimacy to recur, and also that those who have learned how to forgive are those who've learned how to give. And God is the greatest giver of all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen. But I think the giving and forgiving are inextricably connected in the heart of God. So when someone hurts you, what's your first inclination? Sorrow, revenge, or forgiveness? Uh, your answer is likely determined by your understanding of what Jesus did for us on that cross. Because, again, the best givers in life are forgivers. Uh, Do you realize, folks, truly comprehend that God has forgiven you a billion dollar debt for your sin? That's how much you really owed God with your sin. Unpayable, you can't possibly pay it off with your good works. It is, again, a billion dollar debt. In comparison, though, to forgive someone who has hurt you is a mere $10 debt. When you think about as bad as you may have been hurt by somebody in comparison to the billion dollar debt that Jesus paid all for you on the cross, it's a $10 debt. So the cross was given to us as a means for our forgiveness. And when we forgive others, we are participating as the great givers like God, who is the great giver in the universe. We are imitating Christ by giving to others something they don't deserve just as Jesus did for us on the cross. It's why the best givers are forgivers. Uh, When we know what's been done for us on that cross, we're able to freely give it away as well. So, folks, have you been hurt? Forgive. As God has forgiven you, it's one of the clear commands of Scripture, Ephesians 4.32. Again, as God has forgiven you, now forgive one another because the best givers are forgivers. This is so good, David. And it's I think hearing this a couple days in a row is really challenging me um, to forgive, like examine my heart. Do I have unforgiveness? And one of the stories that I love to tell is when I was upset at my husband. I was really upset because he wronged me. And a key that the Lord gave me to walk through forgiveness was thankfulness. Mm. And it was coming towards the situation in the opposite spirit, if you will, and being thankful for the things that I was given in our relationship, in our friendship, in our connection, and just started listing those things, willingly listing them, and it turned my heart to forgiving. We know, Jen, another thing that would be important for people to do when they feel wronged by someone, just sit down and make a list of all the ways they have wronged God. Mm. Make that list specific. All the ways you've hurt God's heart with your disobedience, arrogance, pride, sinfulness. And then as you realize anew the blood of Jesus that forgave Mm -hmm. you of your sins, then I think you can go back to that person who did really wrong you and Mm -hmm. really hurt you. You say, but you know, I did that to the Father. He forgave me of a billion-dollar debt. Again, I can forgive you of this $10 debt. Mm -hmm. And again, it allows you to move toward one another in intimacy. And my husband 
is amazing, by the way. We have a great <laughs> connection. Just want to put that plug in there. But thank you so much, David. Yeah, and every marriage has those points, Jen. <laughs> they really do. And everyone, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org for a daily moment of hope. From my heart to yours at 7 a.m. in your inbox just to say your day can have hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for healing in our nation.